episode 97 it is july 24 2022 terminator travels alongside monoxide what a big weekend this has been ceo stepping down yet san diego comic-con announcing a shitload of all new marvel content but you're not an mcu guy so we don't have to address that but a lot of shit has happened over this past weekend this past week yeah and it's almost the end of july and I'm telling you, do not lie about that. And we got plenty of news stories. We won't have a top 10 this episode because, well, we have a lot of shit to discuss. And, of course, we have a movie review to conclude yeah. this episode. But first things first, Mortal Kombat 2 is happening. Same director is going to be returning to direct this film. And it looks like we may get Johnny Cage. Well, we should. They ended the first one on a cliff note with Johnny Cage. Yeah, so we're probably going to get the actual Mortal Kombat tournament itself. And, I mean, we we uh, reviewed the first film. You go back on one of our old episodes, I believe it was episode 36 or 37 around there, where we had uh, Alex as a special guest. We talked about yeah. new film. He liked it way more than I did. The film was fine, but it wasn't anywhere close to the original. I don't buy that they're, like, he, he brought up an argument that they can always bring back Kung Lao. I don't buy that they're going to do that. I'm not I, sure how they could do that, but... No, I don't think they're going to do that. It's Realistically, I don't really have much faith in the sequel doing really good. Most people hated that first film. I didn't hate it, but I definitely did not enjoy it like I did the OG. Because I think the OG just had more uh, respect for most of the characters. As opposed to this one where it, it's like they half-assed respected Kung Lao. And then they did that to him. You, lo- you like, love your Kung Lao. Yes. And then Liu Kang was like just a side character for Jake Cole, whatever his name was. Oh, Cole Young. Real... Cole Young. Oh, I'm sorry. Cole Young. That, that's hey, how memorable. Like, come on. And apparently he's like a long lost descendant of Scorpion. We already have that storyline with Liu Kang and the original Kung Lao that died 500 years ago to Goro. Oh, that's right. The same Goro that just fucking unanimously lost to Cole Young before the tournament even began. Yeah, yeah, that was kind of weird. And you not know, only that, possible things that they did in that film, I was scratching my head on. Not only that, but this film was made for 2021, and and yet the movie that was made in 1995 had a better looking Goro than this one. Well, yeah, this one, it was just CGI. The original Goro was practical. Mm-hmm. Maybe that should tell you something about CGI. Well, we you know, we've always preferred practical. We we preached it on this show. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. I'm not really that excited for it. Because not only that, Kano, I think, is dead. So one of the other entertaining acts of that first movie, he's not going to be in it, probably. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, he's gone. And then, of course, they, they made one of my favorite ninjas... In reptile, look like fucking reptar on ice. <laughs> Fuck. Well, that's that. We'll have to wait the next couple years. I guess they haven't started the writing, even writing the script yet. But they officially said they they have green light the sequel. It's gonna happen. So we'll wait a couple years and see how that turns out. Yeah, watch them actually put in Kentaro and then do him a disservice too. Yeah, I would think he's probably be the big baddie in the tournament. But it wouldn't make sense, because it's like, he's the big baddie that's led by Shao Kahn. And yet, we're still supposed to have the battle with Shang Tsung. And the Shang Tsung they had wasn't that good. He was not Terry Tagawa. 
Yeah, he was. No, he did not have that charm that Terry brought to the role. And the guy who played Raiden, well, forget it. He's Just, definitely uh, not Christopher Lambert. Yeah. Our second news story, A24 films are coming to HBO Max in next month. For those that like films like Midsommar, and, uh, well, A24, for those I wonder, they're kind of like, the, I guess, Blumhouse's competition when it comes to the horror content. But okay. don't worry, but they only have films from, like, 2014 up to 2018, including uh, Under the Skin, t- the film Tusk, uh, Most Violent Year, uh, the film Room that, um... I think she won an Academy for, the one that plays Captain Marvel. I'm totally blanking on her name right now. Uh, Ex Machina, that's a good movie. Dark Places, The Captive, Barely Lethal, Amy, The Adderall Diaries. Uh, basically, almost their entire film catalog from 2014 through 2018 will be on HBO Max in August. And their most recent film, A24, was um, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which I heard was fantastic, which I want to see. Uh... If all their films are like Midsommar, I don't know. We've already reviewed it on the show. We've already made it clear. Don't like that movie. Way too long. There's too many different uh, plot points that don't really get addressed good enough. So, I really couldn't care less. Well, you want to talk about some movie trailers? A lot of trailers dropped this week. Depends which ones. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Okay. I, I Actually, the three that you told me to watch, one was good, one was bad, and one was ugly. You want to start with the good? The good would be Tekken Bloodline. Tekken Bloodline, I believe, is going to be a, an animated series on Netflix. Uh, I should say anime series on Netflix. I'll let you talk about it since you're a huge Tekken guy. So, I'm not sure if it's a series or if it's a movie. Um, but this reiteration of Tekken, we reviewed the, <laughs> the live action movie, fucking horrendous pile of monkey dong, and it did a very bad disservice to it. And then we tried to review Kazuya's Revenge, we won't get into that. This year is an animated, whether it be a movie or, part of my series, now, I would have preferred them tell the, the beginning story, but they're going into Jin's story from when Ogre takes over, so that's in between Tekken 2 and Tekken 3. And from what I've seen, for the most part, they've respected the video game storyline. I'm not sure if it's all 100% accurate, but from what I've seen, it looks really, really good. They have King in there. We saw Huarong, and they've already shown his feud with Jin, which does exist in the games. So I'm excited. I have faith in this. If the only way they could do this is anime, I'm not a big anime guy, but I am a Tekken guy. And I'm not the type of guy that'll be like, oh, I can't watch something because it's anime. If it's anime and it's something that would possibly interest me, hmm, I'll give it a shot. Not a problem. I mean, Pokemon, the series was anime, and I enjoyed that thoroughly. And believe it or not, and I'm still shocked at this, I have more knowledge of Dragon Ball Z than I thought I did. So it's not like I'm opposed to anime. It's just I'm not a hardcore fan. 
but this looks good. I'm definitely I'm definitely stoked for it. It does look good, even for those I may not be too familiar with Tekken, like myself. It just seemed like this is going to be like a basic summary of who who these these characters are, and it looks like they all come together for like a big fighting tournament, kind of similar to the movie a bit, the King of the Iron Fist. I guess, so, I guess again, you need something to bring all these fighters together. Going on to the Tekken Wiki, it is supposed to be a TV series. Okay, Tekken Bloodline is dropping August 18th on Netflix. August 18th, yep. And again, it's taking place between Tekken 2 and Tekken 3. Just, I would have preferred them just start from the very beginning. But if they tell this part right, then it's a very minor nitpick on my end. But it looks pretty good. So, um, I mean, we may review the series on here once, you know, I'm pretty sure it's all going to come out at once. That's what Netflix usually does. It just shoved the whole season out on its uh, premiere. Yeah. I've already made it clear to the wife that we're watching this as soon as it's out. <laughs> you already made it clear. No questions, no arguments. We're watching this shit. Exactly. You are you are forced to watch this with me. And if you don't, well then, well, I, I can always call the divorce lawyer. It's not a problem. Anyways, I guess we'll go to the bad. Yeah, but I, I mean, I don't mind anime, because uh, I think anime is probably the best form to tell this story with Tekken. So oh, you we'll could do it live action. It. You could do it live action too. It wasn't like I feel like with live action, you may have to deal with more assholes, more of the men in black, more of the guys in suits who may not understand the story. They're gonna want to cut corners and no. Well, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about the actors. They had Kerry Tagawa, the same guy who played Chang Sung, play Heihachi. I was. I got faith in the actors they would get for these parts, but. It's just a story. I just feel like this is what what what's going to be its biggest takeaway. Maybe if they got Quentin Tarantino, who doesn't give a fuck to do it. Yeah, I mean that's if Tarantino again, if he has passion for Tekken, I think which, he would do justice for it. Which I don't Maybe. think he does. I don't think he does. I and I feel like he he's going to want to take more of a, like a '70s kung fu style approach to Tekken. <laughs> yeah, like his, his era, and I don't think Tekken. I don't think that would fit for Tekken. No, I don't uh, mind that style. I don't just don't think that's the Tekken style. Yeah, no, it's definitely not not old school kung fu. But uh, I guess we'll go to the bad now. Bad would be Halloween X. Eh, this was all right. Uh, this did not entice me. It didn't, it didn't do it for you? I mean, they didn't really do it for me either. I saw a lot of people marking out over it on Twitter. I was like, oh, maybe this will be good. And I was like, oh, they were just being marks. <laughs> yeah, it's like, well, okay. So it's once again Michael Myers and Laurie Strode. We've, we've been told this story millions of times, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, because how many times has Batman been retold? But the thing is, is that not every time, but a good majority of the time, the Batman story being retold is pretty well done. Michael Myers, though. And we reviewed the newer Halloween films, Halloween Kills and Halloween 2018. I ended up not liking Halloween Kills. I thought it was a piece of garbage. I can't remember what my thoughts were on the other Halloween movie. I may have said it was pretty good. I may have said it was okay. 
Yeah, I think you said it was good for the new timeline that they're starting and not acknowledging the other films. Yeah, it was Halloween Kills. I was just like, really? Really? So. So Halloween ends. Yeah, just like my sanity. So. Do you see yourself going going to theaters and buying a ticket to see Halloween ends? If I was single, no. Because I'm in a relationship. And when does this come out? October 14th? Yeah. I feel like this is something that if they twisted your arm enough, you, you go. You'd be like, ah, all I right, probably, I'll go. I probably could because I have plans for my anniversary around that time. So may not have time until the following week to see it. I'll think about it. Because I've never really seen I don't think I've ever seen any Halloween. Oh, wait, no, I've seen Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 in theaters. I saw both of those in theaters, one oh. and two. Uh. And yeah. Rob Zombie, you will never be forgiven. Speaking of Rob Zombie, oh. I guess that's a great transition to the ugly. God damn. You know, okay. I'll be quite honest. It's been over quarter of a century since I last watched anything Munsters related. Holy damn, that trailer was no good. No, the teaser trailer he made, basically he just redid the intro, was fine. I was like, oh, okay, you know, maybe there's something to this. And then they released the actual trailer, and it's like, oh my god, this looks like an... Uh, a straight to DVD type movie, and then I looked at the production company behind it. I mean, it's distributed by Universal because they own the rights to the monsters. But a production company behind that movie is Universal, uh, uh, Universal 1440 Entertainment. They specialize specifically in doing straight to DVD movies, oh. like the little, like the Little Rascals Save the Day. The Man with the Iron Fist 2, The Scorpion King 3, The Scorpion King 4, uh, The Land Before Time 14, Kindergarten Cop 2, Bigger Fatter Liar, Tales in the Hood 2, Scorpion King 5, Bench Warriors 2, How High 2. Apparently this is a Netflix film, right? What happened was Universal sold its distribution rights to Netflix because they, I think they saw the feedback that this trailer got, they're like, oh shit, no one's going to go pay to see this in theaters. Let's see if Netflix is willing to buy it. And then that's what happened. People won't pay to see it in theaters, but they'll watch it on Netflix. So I, I think have, Universal just kind of washed their hands clean of this. I have to agree with the people on the comment section. This didn't even look like an actual Monsters film. It looked like a parody of the Monsters. A bad one, yeah, it looked like a fan made it. I mean, Rob Zombie is a fan, but this doesn't fan even look boy. like a, a fan boy. It doesn't even look like a major production. I mean, technically, it's really not if you think about it. If you consider this Universal 1440 Entertainment a major film production, since all their all their whole filmography is straight to DVD. Not only that, but it's like he's Rob Zombie's not known for anything but horror. So this is really his first chance at doing... I mean, granted, the Munsters is horror-themed because you got Frankenstein, Dracula, Frankenstein's... The the wife of Frankenstein. 
Yeah, they're a horror theme, but when you watch the show, it's treated as like a, another 60s sitcom, like Leave It to Beaver or something. It's the original, in my opinion, maybe people think I'm reaching here, but it's almost like that show that we grew up with called Dinosaurs, where it's like, it's set in a real obscure way, but it's set up like a family sitcom type of way. Because Dinosaurs yeah. was the same way. It was filmed like a comedy sitcom with dinosaurs. Same with Monsters. It was a, it, it was like a sitcom, but just involving universal monsters. It now makes sense why Universal owns it, because it's all the mods, the monsters from the classic black and white era. <laughs> but, again, I'm speaking as somebody who hasn't watched anything Monsters really in 25 years. Maybe even longer. I, I can't even remember the last piece of Monsters material I watched, but holy fuck. That this looks horrible. This looks like, terrible. It didn't even like look. It didn't even look like the type of movie that's so bad it's good. I and had this, no interest in watching this. This took them ten months to shoot. A ten-month filming schedule to shoot this shit. Richard Brake, who was you know who's worked with Rob Zombie. Just wrapped up his scenes, I think, last just a few months ago in May. In late May, they were still shooting this. Unbelievable. And look, all due respect to uh, Jeffrey Daniel Phillips, some of the stuff that he did for uh, Rob Zombie was fine. I thought he was okay in Three from Hell. I thought he was okay in 31. With a franchise like The Monsters, why is Rob Zombie only going to his tight-knit group of people? That was that was my another issue, Maya. I was hoping that Zombie would have went outside his box and would have found, you know, some actors that were actually can actually maybe pull off these roles off. I mean, the only actor that I like is the actor that plays uh, Grandpa. Mm-hmm. I, I can't remember his name, but he is a Rob Zombie regular. He was tied up in a chair in the beginning of 31. Right. The Richard Brake. He's great. He plays Grandpa, uh, what's Grandpa, uh, Grandpa Mustard. Sure. Let's go. And I, I like his betrayal, but everyone else is like, of course he goes to his wife. And, and again, I think I said it on the show and I'm almost certain I got it right. It's not even like she wants to be in front of a camera. She just does it for her husband. How many times are you going to drag your wife in front of the camera? She clearly has no interest in being an actress. She's just doing this for you. And I don't know, man. It'd be one thing because I remember saying years ago when I first saw House of a Thousand Corpses that she would have been, in her younger years, a great Harley Quinn. She had the laugh. She had the look. She could have been a perfect Harley Quinn. Oh yeah, I, I said between her and a, and a young Courtney Love would have really pulled Harley Quinn off. But to give your wife all of these roles for, and it's not even like you're doing original pieces all the time. You're doing franchises that were well established way before your directing career, like Halloween and now the Monsters. Oh my God, I have no words for that trailer. Yeah, I, I think the trailer would have benefited if it was a complete black and white film. 
the color just i think the color exposes a lot of the budget uh and on top of that this is there's no eddie monster this is supposed to be a prequel because it's supposed to be a love story how these two met oh even better and i i was like is that really the story people want to see i think people wanted to see the entire family yeah, especially if Eddie Munz, well, he was one of the uh, regulars. Yeah, and now it's supposed to be a prequel, so no Eddie Monster. It, it, it would be like if you decided to make a film. I'm, I'm reaching here, I understand, but level with me here. It, it would be like if you were to try and do a film of Full House, but you did the film and you had Danny Tanner jesse joey and then you had dj and stephanie but no uh the young daughter's name michelle i guess i think that was the youngest one that was played by the olsen twins i think it was uh yeah michelle tanner thank you uh, well to myself but yeah michelle tanner it would be like if you did that and you didn't have michelle tanner it would feel kind of odd like she was crucial to that show because she was there almost every episode and she grew up before everybody's eyes she started off as an infant and then became a child and unfortunately she, i don't think michelle tanner's character ever appeared in the uh the spinoff show fuller house everybody else did except for her but yeah it's quite fucking weird with this rob zombie guy always having to take franchises and putting his own spin to it yeah, and we mentioned he's known for doing certain things. This Rob Zombie's never done a PG film before. He's never done comedy before. So this is all new to him. I mean, and just the campiness of this trailer, it just it's so distracting and awkward. And it takes yeah. away more so than ads. And you could get away with this as we mentioned. Be shot this and this was just a black and white film where a lot of that is kinda hidden. It's not just hidden, it's just like I don't even know. I can't even make heads or tails with what I watched, as I said. And I just like watched. You said, it just feels like a fan-made film, like a fan, almost like a Nickelodeon TV movie. Pretty much, I felt like I watched nothing. And I, I feel bad for any diehard Monsters fans. Do they even exist? I, I, they're out there, <laughs> and they're letting their feelings known in the comments. Who that? I feel like it's been several years, I mean decades, since it's been a, like a, a a good Monsters adaptation post uh, Fred Gwynn. Oh yeah, because again, I'm going back like 20-something years since I last watched anything Monsters related, and I can't remember the last piece of material that was ever made of Monsters. Because they've had TV movies in the 90s that I think for the most part they just kind of came and gone, and just, <laughs> you're just forgotten about. Yeah, because the monster seems like a real quick fad because it's just taking the classic Universal monsters and making them into like a sitcom, comedy sitcom type of deal. So um, huh? this is supposed to drop on Netflix, I believe, in September or October, whenever. But it's dropping in the fall, and then I think Universal's like, "Oh, thank God, we got this out of our, you know, out of our hands. This is yeah. Netflix's problem now." Yeah, let Netflix take the bucket loss. Why don't we? Yeah, Netflix is going to be like, well, we're going to bury this with all the other content we're going to release that same week, so. Yeah, a company that just lost, like, nearly a million subscribers in their Q2. 
yeah, they just lost a million subscribers, and now I hear they may want to add commercials or something to make up for those losses. Oh, yeah, because that's certainly going to keep subscribers. Okay, yeah. Oh, we you got commercials yeah. now. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. Let's charge you more for the subscription per month. And then, on top of it, add commercials to your subscription. Wonderful. Yeah, very soon, the only commercial commercialist app I'm going to have is freaking Shutter. Well, Peacock... I think it's commercial as if you pay nine ninety nine. That's if you have that purple feather, like pre- the premium, right? Yeah, ten dollars. But if you pay five, you gotta have the commercial. So I think Hulu is the same, same thing. Yeah, Paramount doesn't. The Paramount app doesn't have that yet. Well, Paramount, from what I remember, their commercials—they just have a commercial right at the beginning, and then that's it. Oh, they, don't- they have the little thirty-second ad in. Now, you see that—that's okay. I'm fine with that. Right. But if you're going to have commercials throughout the... Like, Tubi, for example, has commercials, but at least Tubi's free to use. Yeah. So that's understandable. If Netflix became a free-to-use platform, and they made you watch commercials throughout the movie you're watching, that's one thing. But if you're paying $10 or however much it is now, what is it, like 15 Yeah, like, I, feel, I feel like it keeps going up every time. It keeps going up every year, so they wonder why they're losing customers. Because they don't have anything interesting other than Stranger Things. Yeah, Stranger Things, maybe. And COVID time. Yeah. And that's not enough to keep someone from paying 15 bucks a month to watch two series that release every year. Every other year, yeah. So... No, you got to do better than that. You got to provide more content, either that or make it a little more affordable. Well, they're going to have more content. They got the monsters now. I, I, when I say more content, more quality. Content. Oh, 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 quality. Okay, yeah, yeah. they need for that. Well, I, see, quality, not quantity. Maybe that's why they're trying to be more picky of what they um, buy. Well, they're not being picky enough because they just bought the fucking monsters. Made by Rob Zombie. Guy with a reputation for fucking shit up. I could, I could see Shudder wanting to get the monsters. Because I, I could see a movie like that benefiting them more than Netflix. Since Shudder is a much smaller uh, app compared to Netflix. Yeah. But Netflix said, all right, we'll take it, so... Oh, well, good luck losing another million. But we'll have commercials, too. Yep, and now we're going to get those fucking commercials. Well, and we got one more news story left for our movie review. We mentioned him in our last episode, good old Vince McMahon. It's not necessarily movie-related, but it does kind of tie into real sports, because it seems like real sports is going to want to touch up on this story. And they haven't really covered on Vince since, I think, the Bob, Bob Costas incident? Bob Costas incident. Oh, when he slapped the notes out of his hand. Oh yeah, when uh, he was trying to stay in character after being asked if he sh- should bear responsibility for all these uh, wrestlers dying at such a young age. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I remember that incident. I was kind of like, on one hand, that's a very fucking dumbass question to ask because it's like. It's still personal choice. They could have just not done it. But on the other hand, the way Vince behaved, it was just like, dude, imagine him trying that in 2022. 
<laughs> Could you imagine if he would have tried that incident today? Oh, man. He would have been fucked beyond belief. Oh, especially now with, you know, where WWE is now. You know, they're very happy, mm-hmm. smiles on people's faces. To the point yeah. send Titus O'Neil out there to say that. Yeah. Are people really smiling at their product? Because, I don't know. Their product... All right, so... Yeah, the news story is is that Vince McMahon is retired, apparently. Oh, yeah, he retired over, was it Friday afternoon, on via, via tweet. And when we say retired, we mean retired, like, as if he's not going to work anymore. He has stepped down. He is out of the company. Anybody that's watched wrestling any length of time or watched interviews with people who have experienced working with Vince... Everybody had the same assumption that that dude was never going to retire. He was going to have to die at the desk before we got a new CEO. In this case, it was a scandal in which he sent hush money to a bunch of women that he had affairs with that were a part of his company. So, who knows where... So. The question that has been thrown around is, is this going to be a change for anything? Like, is the company going to do? I don't think so. And I say that because the the one thing that will change is that possibly there won't be scripts written and then ripped up 10, 30 minutes before the show. We may have that at least covered because that was one of the biggest issues was They've surrounded themselves with an infrastructure of writers, which is not how wrestling is supposed to be done. Wrestling is supposed to be one guy, maybe with a couple bookers, writing down the format of the show and then going on their merry way. And I think around 2002-ish, he decided to put writers, but he had to take it one step further. These writers were not just writing a show where, okay, this angle happens, this angle happens. They're writing scripts for all these wrestlers. And on top of it, these scripts, you are not allowed in any way, shape, or form to ad-lib anything. This is according to John Moxley, who had left the company. When he went off script, he got chased down and chewed out by Vince McMahon for going off script, ad-libbing something. Whether it was something cool or not, the fact that he had the audacity to go off script, and then the following weeks, he made sure to send somebody to watch John Moxley to make sure he never went off script again. So they've created an infrastructure that is so uh, creatively toxic, stifling. And with the CEO being Stephanie and Nick Khan, we've already discussed Nick Khan couldn't give two shits about wrestling it seems like he's just a fucking ceo he's a suit he's a empty list brainless suit he's a robot he was brought in to tighten the budget yeah tighten a budget that they're making billions upon billions of dollars off of unbelievable that they needed somebody to tighten a budget when their budget was becoming endless fees of fucking dollars makes no sense But Stephanie, she's basically probably been raised 
by a guy and taught certain methods by this man to do things a certain way. So she's probably just going to pick up where Vince left off. The infrastructure is they've got writers. It's not going to change in that department. So I don't see much change happening at all. Um, I don't see this whole co-CEO thing lasting too long because co-CEOs never work. I, If I had to pick, I'd rather Stephanie be the CEO than Nick Khan. Yeah, because I still, I still think Nick Khan's going to want to sell it to, uh, let's just say, a universal. He doesn't have a stake in WWE other than money. He is a suit. That's all he yep. is. And suits are not about quality of product. They're all about how much money they can bring in. That's all he gives a shit about. It's clear as day because he was the one firing people. Or There's rumors that, oh, it's, it's Vince McMahon. That's the final say, but listen, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a fucking duck. It wasn't until Nick Khan got all this fucking power that we started seeing arbitrary releases happening during the pandemic. It it wasn't until he started acquiring more power, thanks to Vince McMahon, that we started seeing people getting fired while they were on TV. So it's kind of like, hmm, kind of weird that as soon as... Nick Khan got more power and became more influential in the, the decision making that people are just get losing their jobs, even if they're on TV in the middle of a push. So if Nick Khan became CEO, I don't see that being good for WWE, because as you said, he's just going to probably look at it as, well, let's just sell this to Disney or Universal or something. Whereas at least Stephanie, not saying she wouldn't do the same thing. I don't know Stephanie. All I'm saying is at least Stephanie, this you can make the argument she could see this as her child as well. This was my grandfather's promotion. This was my father's promotion. Now it's mine. I could see her wanting to actually run it more so than Nick Khan. Right. I could see that too. Because again, she was basically born and raised in WWE world. So at least I could see this as her having some sentimental value to this company. Now, whether she'd be good or whether she'd be bad, who knows? We won't know until she actually runs it for a period of time to see if it was good or bad or if it was better or worse under Vince. But under Nick Khan, I have no faith whatsoever. None. That's the type of guy that I can see firing Roman Reigns just to save a fucking budget while he's the world champion. Yeah, I can see. I can see. I don't. I don't think that's gonna happen. But he's definitely the kind of guy that would do that. Yeah. Save it if he gets an extra dollar out of it. Yeah, and because Roman Reigns is one of the highest paid guys there, he'll probably say to himself, "Oh, let's save a couple bucks. Let's fire him." I don't know because. Vince, as much as we can hate Vince for being fucking ruthless, at least when it came to certain guys in his company that he saw as top guys, he made sure, bottom dollar, that he kept them. Undertaker, Brock Lesnar, um, Randy Orton, John Cena. He made sure to keep those motherfuckers. They They were lifers for him. Nick Khan, I don't. He he would be the type of guy that would say, "Huh, this guy's been here for about twenty years, and we keep giving him raises, and he's making all this money. We may as well just let him go and put somebody else in that spot and be able to pay him less." Yep. I would never trust Nick Khan ever, ever. I would never trust to be in a room with a guy like Nick Khan. 
He reminds me of, I don't know if people have watched this episode of Joe Rogan's podcast, the Joe Rogan experience, but I remember they had brought on Jack Dorsey, who was the former CEO of Twitter. And he was on, it was a two hour, two and a half hour podcast or some shit like that. And they got a lot of fucking flat because they felt like Joe Rogan didn't ask the right questions to Jack Dorsey, which were like, why do you block conservatives and not liberals, blah, 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 into that whole ordeal. So Joe Rogan decided to call up Tim Poole, who's more educated on this, and said, can you come on? And Jack Dorsey, can you come on again so he can ask these questions? And Jack Dorsey said yes. But this time Jack Dorsey brought on one of his lawyers. I forget her name off the top of my head. But she, Tim Poole would bring in the brutally honest questions and then this woman, who I call a suit, that's usually what I call somebody who doesn't really answer a question. They dance around it and give you like a 30-minute winded answer that doesn't really answer the question. That's what she is. And that's what I think Nick Khan is. Based on what I've seen in the last year, as Nick Khan has had more influence and more power in the company. I do not see Nick Khan as a positive benefit for the WWE at all. Like it's amazing zero. how fast he's risen up in the ranks. Yeah, because he's so fucking... But he's not only ruthless, he's fucking stupid. Because he's only smart for his own benefit. He's not smart in the benefit of the company. If he's trying to build a company, he's fucking stupid. Because how do you build a company by firing people before they even get off the ground with their push? So... It's it's uh, I forget the guy's full name. Uh, it's Marvin something, but he he's a guy that became the CEO of Lowe's, the not the movie theater, the the hardware company. Mm-hmm. And he has a notorious history. He did it to J.C. Penney, where he'll become the CEO of a company, but not to help build it, but to do certain things to the company, like taking away certain benefits. And then when the company starts falling apart, he takes all the the money, reaps all the benefits, and then runs away and finds another company to suck the, the life out of. That's what Nick Khan sounds like to me. He just sounds like a guy that will go from company to company, suck the life out of it, and then go off and do another thing and do it to somebody else just for himself. I believe Nick Khan used to be an agent for, like, celebrities before, which is, which is again, that's how actually how a lot of business people, you know, when come from an agency, you're also a businessman. Mm-hmm. Because they all kind of have that same background. Yeah, so I don't trust Nick Khan at all. I, as much as I don't think she'll be a major improvement, I would have a lot more... I, I would feel a lot more safe with Stephanie running the company. It seems like Stephanie would care more about the WWE than Nick Khan. I don't see Stephanie as somebody that would fire Roman Reigns as their world champion just so that she could save a buck. I think even she gets the understanding that he's our champion. We have to book him to either win, lose, whatever the fuck it may be. Whereas Nick Khan, I could just see him being like, hey, we'll just fire him. Who cares if he's still the champion? we we got to save money. Um, it's going to be a very interesting next few weeks, especially post-Summerson, where this company goes. Um, you said not much change is going to happen. Uh, we don't know. Uh, no. Maybe some change will happen. I mean, Laurinaitis is gone. Uh, Pritchard is, good... is running creative. Yeah, and, and 
here's the thing. So Laurinaitis being gone is a good thing because Laurinaitis, he's a major reason why the women's division in that company was fucking horrendous from 2007 to about 2015, mm-hmm. where he was just hiring. He was literally looking in swimsuit model magazines and just hiring women and seeing if they could wrestle. That's how he operates. So it's a good thing he's not there. Because he was definitely going to do that. And that, that was a gripe I had with WWE last few months or so. They literally were not looking for any independent wrestlers. They were only looking for athletes from other sports. It's like, but they don't have the drive or the passion for this. They're probably just looking for a job. Who knows if they'll be a wrestler after you release them if they don't work out. But, a, lot of, a lot of the divas didn't wrestle post WWE. Yeah. A lot of them for them, this was just a job. Yeah. And, and hope you could use that platform to probably get a reality or probably get in the movies. And the problem with Bruce Pritchard is that he books the way he thinks Vince McMahon will like. Which isn't wrong per se because you're trying to please the ceo and he had direct ties with the ceo so he's obviously going to book for things that only vince mcmahon will like so i understand it now is he still going to be that way if vince mcmahon's not around i don't know i don't know i i heard when he was running tna people hated his way of booking well again because he's booking in a way that only vince mcmahon will like now will that luxury be there don't know don't know, but Triple H has his EVP uh, rollback. So. The, only thing, the only thing about Triple H was that he was hiring guys that we liked. But you can also look at that as him trying to destroy every other promotion. Oh, yeah, people seem to forget he literally destroyed the entire UK indie scene. Yep, 100%. And tried to destroy the, the wrestling scene in Japan by buying... He wanted, he wanted to buy Pro Wrestling Noah. I forgot how that deal fell through. Uh, they all just kind of looked at me like, are you shitting? Like, they all just kind of laughed at him. Yeah, I guess Triple H was literally trying to be like his father-in-law, trying to just take over the wrestling world once again. Yeah, with NXT, he had, like, he wanted to have an NXT base in UK, Japan, South America, I think South Africa, and a few yeah. spots in all over Europe. Yeah, that's a... Uh, world domination! <laughs> uh, how did that song go? This year, what you call domination. It's a, it's combination, a combination of skill of, and concentration. concentration. Kind of makes you wonder, what if what if Hunter was the one that kind of leaked all this? Because apparently, Wall Street's not done with Vince. Apparently, they got some more heavy shit from what I'm hearing. It It is. The timing couldn't be any more impeccable. Because it was only just a few months prior that Triple H lost all of his power. It was within, within the last year. Because if you remember, NXT was black and gold. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it became this Dudley Boy's neon Nickelodeon colors. He, he lost his spot, and then they made all these changes to NXT, WS 2.0. Yeah, and then the product completely changed, if you saw it. Yeah. Like, the product went from being a super indie to now it's literally a developmental. The limited stuff that I saw of the new NXT, it's really weird because like i don't have any faith 
a perfect example, a Tony D'Angelo. He's supposed to be a Don. He's supposed to be a younger version of Vito Corleone. Do you honestly think that gimmick's going to last two seconds up in the main roster? Yeah, we had to get it. We got to get a cheap PG version of a Sopranos character. And I, and I appreciate that they got a gimmick. That was something that WWE has been missing for quite a while is like standout gimmicks. But Jesus, holy fucking moly. They're reaching here. Oh, yeah. And they're trying to appeal to the kids. It's like I watched a little bit of NXT 2.0 and I'm like, there's nobody here I give two flying fucks about. I like Rex Steiner or Braun Breaker or whatever. Oh, it makes you wait. That's another thing. Are, are they going to make some name changes again? Are they going to keep some of these name changes? Is is L.A. Knight going to come back as L.A. Knight? Because, I mean, or apparently Max Dupree is done. Apparently. Yeah. Well, my problem with Braun Breaker is he hasn't done any math equations, so he's already not good in my book. You're doing too much of your father and not your uncle. Is, you want is, me to like you? Be your uncle. Is is Gunther still going to be Gunther? Is, or are they going to repackage him back as Walter? Uh, Gunther. Uh, just keep him as Gunther. Cause go back to Walter. Come on. It's like now you're just going back and forth. Or or Ludwig Kaiser. What was he? Uh, Marcel Brothel. What about Butch? Oh, yeah. Butch. Mr. Limmy Adam. Limmy Adam. Adam. I don't know. I, I don't know. And they 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 built these guys up NXT for years as Walter and Pete Dunn, and now all of a sudden they get called the main roster. There's there's someone else because they want a trademark. It. Yeah, that was never really a trademark. Was not, I mean Triple H didn't make name changes to some of the guys, not all of them. Finn Balor, Sami Zayn, Kevin Sammy Owens, Zane, Kevin Owens. Um, yeah, yeah, some of those guys. Will they will they call themselves a wrestling company again? Who the hell? I mean, Triple H was more wrestling oriented than. Can can we say hospital, not medical facility? Uh, yeah, well, they still have all those terms that are not allowed. Like, you can't say belt; you have to say title. You can't say title match; you gotta say championship opportunity. And what is it? You can't say match; it's a contest. Like all these terms that even Kurt Hawkins came out on the whim and said. So, oh, he said belt. That dude's never gonna draw any money. Oh, uh, he's being, he's hard to work with. Oh yeah, he's hard to work with because he's asking questions. That's what they that's what they usually do. You ask too many questions, and you're, you're being difficult to, to work with. You're unprofessional. You let us all down. So it's gonna be a very interesting week. Or very August is gonna be a very interesting month for WWE. That's gonna be a wait and see. We'll just see what happens. See what changes they make. They're probably gonna let go of some people. Bring in some new. I think they're gonna bring in new faces to run all these backstage roles because it's time. You know, Kevin Dunn. I don't see him lasting too long. Oh, Same Bucky Beaver. Bucky Beaver. Even Paul London calls him that on his on his podcast, which is funny. Well, he is an asshole. <laughs> I mean, he fucking wouldn't. He wanted to get rid of Becky Lynch because uh, she sounded too Irish. And then uh, what else did he say? Oh yeah, she she isn't good looking enough to be a women's champion good looking enough we need you all to look more like mandy leone that's mandy oh, rose Mandy Rose. i'm sorry excuse me yeah instead of all being individuals let's all make you look the same they love their blonde hair women well that's the whole vince mcmahon stuff and that kind of concludes all my news topics for this episode and i guess we shall get into today's film discussion which was your choice titled the gate 
which came out in 1987, has a runtime of an hour and 25 minutes. It stars everyone's favorite actor, Steven Dorff. What a powerhouse of a movie star he has become over these past few decades. He's really the biggest name in this film. We have other actors. I believe this was filmed in Canada. These horror movies that we keep reviewing seem to be from Canada. Canada. This is a nice this is a nice little film. I think it's I think it's underrated. I enjoyed it. I did too. Uh, um this was not my first viewing. I saw this when I was a kid. Yeah. And watching it again, you know, with my adult eyes. I I was gonna ask you this question. Do you think someone who hasn't seen this film growing up watching watching it for the first time? Do you think they'll enjoy it? Somebody, wait, so somebody that never watched it as a kid growing up. Someone, like a first-time viewer, do you think, as an adult, do you think an adult viewer would enjoy this? Yeah, I think so. So, this is my biggest compliment to the film. This is something that most horror films just don't fucking have. It didn't hit you straight up with the horror until about maybe 45 minutes to 50 minutes into the damn film. I do not like when I'm watching a film and 15 minutes in, we're right into the big chase, like how Rob Zombie did with 31. It's like, do people not understand that you need to give some sort of platform for the characters to develop before you hit us with the horror? They at least sat there and let us develop a relationship with the three main characters of the film before they went right to the horror part of it. Because it was Glenn, Terry, and Alexandra. They're the three main characters of this film. And guess what? They all were given time to develop as characters before the big scene happens where they now have to fight this whatever this thing is this creature all these demons from hell but yeah long story short uh the father's cutting down an old dead tree or whoever they're cutting down this old dead tree in the backyard well under this tree is a gate to hell and of course over t- and throughout the film you know they um weird things start happening around the house well, this happens over the span of a weekend. The parents go away, I believe, for business, whatever reason. They had to go away for the weekend, and the kids were left in charge of the house. And um, I know, I know, there's a little subplot going on with the brother and his sister. The brother and sister are very close, but the sister is a teenager, so she's kind of going through a phase of, you know, she, you know, like friends are coming over, uh, boyfriends, and so she's kind of like trying to please both crowds, as in like she's trying to play an older sister. But at the same time, she's trying to play the best friend to everyone else. Mm-hmm. So you kind of have that little, that little issue going on. But at the same, but at, you know, in the end, she still chooses her brother over her friends. I mean, there's a scene where she goes to the mall with her friends, and I think she's supposed to buy stuff to go to the beach. Instead, she bought a, a big giant rocket ship for her brother to play with. <laughs> and and this kid, he loves his rockets. <laughs> I'm. Does he love to polish his rocket? <laughs> he loves yeah. his rockets. And I guess the rockets end up playing... I guess they're kind of a foreshadow, because that's kind of what they use. He uses to beat the big demon in the end. Yeah. And he has his best friend, Terry, we get introduced to. He's kind of like a metalhead nerd, which is weird, because usually in these kind of movies, it's usually one or the other. It's never both. But it works. He's kind of like a metalhead nerd. He's a pretty cool kid. 
Metalheads. I'm pretty sure we all knew a Metalhead in high school or growing up. I knew I knew Metalheads. I was never really friends with them, but I knew them. They existed. And I yes. think this film does a very good job making the kids feel like kids, doing kid things. It's like the script, the story understood the children in this movie. It not only understood that, but it understood the idea that we have to be attached emotionally to these kids before they start throwing out all the crazy shit. It's like the first 45 minutes. Yeah, there's a little bit of here's and there's where um, Glenn levitates. There's little hints that something's going to happen, but it doesn't dab smack you in the face with it right away. And that's what I like about horror films like this, because it builds and builds and builds to when it finally happens. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I know the Angry Video Game Nerd brought this up, but it's, um, back in the old days, well, actually it's around this time, because this film came out in 87. When the first Legend of Zelda game came out, you heard about the Legend of Ganon, but you didn't know what he looked like. You read it through the booklet. You heard about it from word of mouth. You didn't know what he looked like, but you knew that you were going to fight Ganon. And it just built that mystery up. And it just kept building and building and building to where you had to play the game to find out what Ganon looked like. Because there was no internet back then. There wasn't cell phones where you could just look up, well, what does Ganon look like? So you had to play the game, and because the game was puzzle-based, it's like you had to figure out a bunch of shit before you can even get to the final boss and the puzzles back in the old games were super arbitrary they needed you to get more bang out of your buck for a game that if they made it easy would only take an hour or two to beat so they wanted you to be able to make it a 20 to 30 hour experience so once you finally get to the final castle and you see Ganon, it's a big fucking deal. He's a warthog. It's and that's why Ganon has the reputation he has because he, there was so much mystery to him. Then all of a sudden, you get uh, a movie like this that pretty much follows that same thing, where they build and build to this this portal that apparently is open thanks to uh, some sort of spell that they put onto it and because they dug up some sort of geode or whatever it's called and it, time after time there's little subtle things that keep happening and then finally you have the little like I don't know what they were were they golems or, or demons those little small kind of, demons yeah yeah it, it, this movie in a way kind of reminded me a little bit of Evil Dead and how it was presented there was that element to some sort because like the big monster comes and it's just a bigger version of these little demons and it's 1987 so I forgive it for the most part because the editing compared to today's standards is a little cheesy but it was the surprise of oh so this is the big thing that he has to fight or he's going to have to compromise to save his friends and it took about maybe an hour into the film before you saw it. Or, or if you want to use movies as an example. We haven't reviewed this movie yet, but the first Hellraiser, I don't think Pinhead shows up until like a good hour or so into the film. Yeah. It built and built and built to where Pinhead and his minions finally come up and 
explain their motives and and that's when he delivers his famous line we will tear your souls apart so i like that this film didn't just rush into it this is a problem with today like build it up i don't mind waiting i want to develop a relationship with these characters that's why stranger things is super hot right now i mean granted it's a tv series so they have more time to develop it but when you give time to develop characters and then when the big moment comes for them to fight off whatever entity that they have to fight off, we care about them. I, I agree 100%. Halloween 1, prime example of this. Halloween 1, still one of the best. Still one of the goats. One of the goats or The Exorcist, another great horror film. I don't, I don't think we've reviewed Exorcist on here yet. We did not review Exorcist yet. No, we, we got to get to that. We'll get to uh, it. Yeah, definitely. Um, but here, another film I really... Another film. This film I really appreciated from an effects standpoint. I mean, yeah, some of it is cheesy, but they did use a lot of practical and a lot of stop motion. Mm-hmm. At which I think really worked. And I think the one effect I really liked was when the, when um, uh, Steven Dorff, uh, Glenn, when he opened up in his, his hand and he saw his eye. Yeah, that was crazy. That was freaking creepy. Like, oh! Yeah, um... And then you have to end up stabbing the eye just to help kind of beat the big bad monster in the end. Yeah. And he had to beat the big bad monster with Thunderbolt, as he referred to the rocket ass. I think it was Thunder and the power of love. So is Huey Lewis in the news That's- now? <laughs> because okay. that, that rocket, I think, was bought by his sister. Oh, no. Or it was a big rocket, I think, that he found buried in his closet or, or his family's closet because... I think he said, I thought my father threw this out, and I guess he never did. And then they, they hid it away, and then they kinda, it kind of came back later on in the film. Yeah. But as I mentioned, he loves rockets. He loves, yeah, he loves shooting off rockets, and he's not allowed to because the one time he shot off a rocket, it hit the roof of the house, and so he's not allowed to shoot them off without supervision, so. Yeah, and, it's, and the fact that his sister did that for him when she couldn't went to hang out with her friend instead, really, it really put her over, and established that you know I'm you know, she's a good cat, she's a good sister. She's a good older sister, yes. And yeah. there, there were caricatures in this film. When I mean caricatures, like over top personalities, like the two oh, sisters, the Lee sisters. There, there was a scene. Um, was he in the bathroom or no? He was playing. He was with Terry in the bedroom. And when, when they came in, one of them said, are you, are you, are you too off? Like, first of wow. all, I've, I've never heard that word used in such out of context. <laughs> That's almost as bad as the story that Cody Rhodes said when he had the oh, worst trying match. Trying to fuck on me. <laughs> trying to fuck on me, Ted DiBiase, yeah. What? I'm hoping this, that they This just... was the 80s. They did use, they did drop the gay joke. They said, you know, the fag a few times in this it is yeah it was definitely the 80s but in the 80s the village people were performing yeah but as i mentioned this was how kids talked yeah well they were teenagers yeah they're they were, supposed yeah, to they teenagers small kids and, and to credit steven dorf he had some good insults <laughs> to her friends whenever they would talk shit to him yeah he, why does he remind me of mikey the mikey that we reviewed oh. <laughs> I don't know, because they, they don't look alike. They don't... I don't know, a... just their demeanor just registered the same to me. Especially when he was angry and would throw the insults. 
I don't know. I, I never got any Mikey vibes off of young Stephen Dorff here. Stephen Dorff. What kind of name is that? Stephen Dorff. Stephen Dorff. This was his uh, debut film. He went on and had a pretty solid career, I would say. He was in Blade. He did um, that Uwe Ball movie, Alone in the Dark. I know he did one of the Texas Chainsaw movies. I know he was on True Detective. Uh, he's had a solid career. I didn't even know this, but he played in a movie called Backbeat, where he played a Stuart Sutcliffe. And that's the guy that was in The Beatles with John Lennon before he suddenly passed away. And I think George Harrison took his place. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, St- Stuart Sutcliffe died in 19 April 10th, 1962, because he was sick, and he eventually died from cerebral hemorrhage, and that's when they had to get uh, George Harrison to take his place. So, um, I yeah. think he was in that Iceman film too, the one that you like. He, I think he played, uh, yeah, Richard Kuklinski's son. Yes, which is weird because Michael Shannon is younger than Stephen Dorff in real life. How old is Stephen Dorff? Stephen Dorff is a year older than Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon says he was born in August 7th, 1974, and Stephen Dorff was born July 29th, 1973. So the son of the main character is older in real life. It, 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 this isn't the first time either because uh yeah, this is this happened all the time this is yeah this is uh, nothing- freaking uh marty mcfly uh michael j fox is older than crispin glover yet crispin glover played his father and uh oh shoot oh and us uh, and selena selena's mother is only like the actress is only like five years older than j-lo four four years four Four yeah. years, so, you know, when they did those and, scenes, they put a shit ton of makeup on him. And then, um, whatchamacallit, the fighter. Christian Bale was supposed to be the older brother of uh, Mark Wahlberg. But Mark Wahlberg's older than Christian Bale. Um, what I liked about the another thing I liked about this film was that um, the ending where um, Stephen Dorff defeats the, uh, the, the, um, the stop motion monster, which I really, I love the design of the monster. It had four eyes. Um, yeah. And even in the little details, you could see the stomach going in and out as in like it was breathing. It's just a lot of people seem to look, kind of like forget, you know, don't, don't acknowledge that when it comes to like these kind of monsters. But there's always the little things that count. The little details. And I, I'll get I get to my other favorite scene. I got two other favorite scenes. But I love the ending is that everybody came back. Because usually movies like sometimes like this, like everybody comes back and in the house that got destroyed, all of a sudden is not destroyed anymore. It's like back to the way it was. Mm-hmm. But we hear, you know, the house is still destroyed. So in the end credit, when the camera's is kind of like panning out and they're all just sitting on the front steps waiting for their parents to go home, the daughter's going to be in a lot of shit because it was her responsibility to watch the, the kids, to watch her little brother. And throughout the whole film, the little brother kept wanting to call, you know, his parents, let him know what the hell's going on. But she kept saying no because she felt like she's gonna be, in, you know, she's gonna be in, in hot shit if, you know, they find out she's not doing her job taking care of her brother. And on top of that, the one thing I liked was that maybe this was later in the time, but one thing that horror movies have really developed was. Even when, let's say, the good guy triumphs and prevails, they always got to throw in some sort of scene 
that alludes to the fact that whoever they killed wasn't killed. Like, uh, after Evil Dead, after Bruce Campbell's character gets out of the house, there's a scene right afterwards. They could have ended it right there, but no, they had to create a scene where the thing is traveling and attacking Ash Williams, alluding to he's not beaten yet. There's going to be a possible sequel. And it's like, I never really liked that. I, I there's there's times where it's like okay, that's cool. Like I said, with Mortal Kombat, the movie, it is cool. They they there is times where it's done right, but by the same token, it's like if you do that, then you have to make a sequel. But what happens if this isn't a box office success? Then you leave the movie into a cliffhanger, or if you do a sequel and it's not that good, like Mortal Kombat, <laughs> you just it's like, come on. This movie here at least solidified this is the end, even though there is a sequel. There but is? There is. There is a sequel to this movie. It didn't do as well, but um, there is a sequel to The Gate. Oh, Gate to I, the Passes. Oh, no. Yeah. So, the point of this is, is that at least it ended like on a finale. To make you think this is it this is the only one and maybe they'll look at it as okay if the next one does well or if this one does well then we'll make another one type of deal yeah yeah usually they do like a, as you just mentioned a cock tease of an ending like you know this may not be the end yeah or the end question mark question mark yeah no yeah, that here which is good um another scene that i liked was when the um the the corpse that came into the house when they thought they beat it Oh my God. After Terry uh, came out of the hole, was finding those little demonic guys. Yeah. And then the corpse came. And then they. Go ahead. That thing reminded me of Evil Dead when they're all possessed. Yeah, it looked like one of the Deadites. (laughs) They threw a cereal at its face, and then when it fell, it just kind of like broke apart to all those little demons, which I thought that was cool. So. The workman coming out of the wall because he heard that from a story that uh, there was a workman that died and was buried in the wall, but it was a made-up story. Why do I get the feeling that they inspired, um, and many of you kids may not remember this, this is more my year. There was a show called Salute Your Shorts, and there was a character for one episode called Zeke the Plumber. Does anybody remember Zeke the Plumber? He was a scary-looking motherfucker and, and appeared in people's uh, dreams. And, oh, my God, if you actually look at that episode, it's it's a pretty uh, fucked-up episode. It kind of reminded me of that, but obviously not as bad because that was part of a children's television program, so they were limited to what they can do. Yeah, I have so many shows. Uh, like, I have Salute Your Shirt, I think, on my list, Like, because right now I'm on Hey Arnold. But I still have mm-hmm. so many shows to watch. I mean, I got to watch The Dinosaurs You Mentioned. That's on Disney+, Plus, along with the... Um, the X-Men animated series I may want to check out. So much shit to watch. And then another scene that I liked was when they thought the parents came back home. And uh, Glenn, Stephen Dorff character, went to hug his father. But mm. obviously it was not his father. But oh. So then the son squeezes <laughs> his father's face in and milk comes pouring out. <laughs> At least what it looked like. Yeah. <laughs> Wait face just disintegrated and then they just taunted him was fucked up I was like, oh my god this is great jeez oh no better yet jesus jesus 
Holy fuck. This film had a lot of fun effects. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're dated because it's a movie that was made in the 80s, but if you just, like, put that aside, it's a very well-done film. It is. Graphically. For a budget of $6 million. Yeah, budgets, yeah. Um, I, I, I think it did well. It made profit. Yeah, but it thing is, is that this is a forgotten film. It has. It's because, I mean, the 80s is an era where, like, it was really that the, the decade of horror. This was, like, this was really their era, and he had so many horror films. Obviously, the slasher genre was dominating the box office. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, every now and then you had a little zombie, a zombie, a George Romero zombie film here. You have a movie like this. Uh, uh, a near dark a year before um, what's the one keeper uh, Lost Boys came out and I feel like this film was just one of those movies it came out it did well but people just forgot about it I... it, just, it just kind of fell under the radar I was like hey like hey you know we gotta give appreciation to this we got Steven Dorf out of this yeah because uh, as you said this was his first film ever so yeah, and he became he became a star. I mean, he had a career till to this day, still doing shit. Um, I, there was a, another scene I wanted to talk about. Um, the uh, Terry, the the death metal nerdy kid, he had a he had a record album because he mentioned how um the way to beat to close the gate is in this album is from this heavy metal band in Europe who died. Oh, they released this album then they died not too long ago in a plane crash and he mentioned how like if you play this record backwards there's a message i remember when my father played uh stairway to heaven from led zeppelin and he played that song backwards to me and he's like saying oh the hell to my sweet satan they used to scare the shit out of me when i was little i remember hearing about that like certain records uh he played them backwards that there's like some weird underlying messages like i think one of jay-z's records uh if you play it backwards it says 666 uh, murder murder jesus or some shit it's that old folklore it, it, it kind of falls into the guidelines of like music being uh weirdly uh cryptic i, I think the the biggest le- music legend i've ever heard of and keep in mind it's a legend it's not proven true but uh, the song Love Roller Coaster from the Ohio Players. This isn't about, like, uh, evil shit, but or it is evil, but nothing, like, uh, spiritual. The cover art for the album is a woman pouring honey all over herself. And the story goes is that she poured the honey all over herself for the shoot. And the honey that they used, her skin had a bad reaction to it and it literally ripped her skin off literally ruining her modeling career so she comes in one day to the uh the the record studio and threatens to sue the whole company threatens to sue the record producer and the producer apparently brought her into a room stabbed her to death recorded the screams and put it as the background track to their song long love roller coaster oh my god yeah it's it's a very warped story it's an urban legend, but I, I would think it's not true. I did not know that. There's a story. Yeah. So it kind of reminded me of that. But uh, the scene that I liked the best wasn't even a comical scene. It was the scene where they're finally trying to get rid of the spirit, trying to close the gate. And was his name Terry? Uh, yeah, Terry. Yeah. Fall into the hole. 
and then I told him, stand back, Terry, I'll stop it. Yeah, and then he slipped and fell into the hole, and then all the, like, it made me feel scared. Like, what's in that hole? And you don't really get to see what's in there. You see, like, a hallway. And the little demon's, like, trying to grab onto him. Grabbing onto him, they're, like, biting his legs. All right, he slaps one of them away. Fuck off me. I'll be honest. The little demon scared me more than the big one. Or at least they just made me more uncomfortable than the big one. The big one was just like, oh, shit. The little one, I'm just like, hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and the way they did that, it was just really, it was just, it was just a bunch of guys dressed up in, like, rubber suits. Then they would have them in a the background, almost like a green screen, and then they would green screen them into the scene. That's awesome. I'm not even gonna lie. Yeah, I mean, obviously, some scenes they use like little rubber toys when they would like get on their arms and stuff. But, but again, very well done for its time. It's very creative. Yeah. I I always appreciate movies that do that. To me, it just it brings more of the charm out. It. it, it makes the director and the people who are doing the movie to get more creative so where are your thumbs going I mean this is kind of a dumb question where are your thumbs for the gate uh, I would say thumbs up so, very solid thumbs up I so the only thing that it, and it's not even the film's fault it was the app that I watched it on so you gave it to me on YouTube I actually watched this on Tubi it was on Tubi okay. I didn't know it was because I didn't know it was on Tubi or not so my fear was was that sometimes people who put movies up on YouTube, they add it, like they put ads up the ass. Some some channels will put an ad every three, four minutes, making it virtually unwatchable. So I said, if I'm gonna watch a movie with ads, at least Tubi, I know it won't be as much. YouTube, I don't know, I'm running into that risk. And I think had it not been for the ads, this movie would have been a solid playthrough, but otherwise it didn't feel that long at all because it did exactly what I've been criticizing horror movies for doing, and that is giving me too much in a short period. This movie built and built and built to that moment where the freaking these creatures would come out of the hole and actually take over and try to, to enslave the earth. It, and keep in mind, it's like a 30 minute window where all this shit is happening, but it's a very well done 30 minutes. It doesn't feel like it's overstaying its welcome. The big demon gets to kick some ass a little bit before he finally gets his demise. The little demons themselves are creepy enough. There was some scenes where I'm like, I'm hoping he gets out of this situation. There were some fun moments, like like you said, when uh, Steven Dorff's character and the two sisters are throwing insults back and forth. Yeah, some uh, people it didn't. Some people might get offended by it, but come on, it's it's more fun than harmful, if you ask me. It's it's that millennial Gen Z feeling of uh, well, if we just complain about it and whine that our feelings are hurt, then they'll apologize for it. So yeah. So in the end, I really enjoyed this film. I would give it a very solid thumbs up. Is it the greatest horror movie I've ever seen? Probably not, but I definitely enjoyed myself. It's probably one of the better films. A very solid two thumbs up. Definitely watch it. Yep, two two thumbs up for me. It's rated a uh, PG thirteen. Well, really, I guess for the eighties, that's that's PG thirteen. Yeah, well, not just that, but there was some disturbing scenes for a PG thirteen film. 
Yeah. <laughs> but then again, it's like, I, I don't understand the rating system, nor do I understand TV. Because, like, on AMC, they got The Walking Dead. And they can't say the word fuck, but we can have an a, a zombie literally get its head blown off with its limbs ripped apart. And its organs falling out of its body. It's like, oh, we don't mind limb dismemberment, but don't you dare say the F word. I heard, I heard the F word dropped a lot on Better Call Saul recently. Okay. I get, it, it feels like a pick and choose at this point. Yeah. We like you. All right, well, you can say the F word. Right, we don't like you so much. Uh, you move, you're, This episode's getting an X. TVMA. Yeah. I know Mike Judge had criticized or found them to be weird because he told the story about how in one of the uh, editor's rooms when he was going over an episode he wanted to create... He wanted to do an episode where a murderer got loose and went over to Beavis and Butthead's house and shit like that. And he wanted the episode to end with Beavis and Butthead literally being told to put their pants down so that they would be alluded to the fact that they were going to get, quote unquote, anally raped by this weird murderer. That was okay. They had no issues with that. But then he had a slide where... Apparently, at the start of the episode, one of the characters would stomp on a bug as part of their boredom. And the, the TV studio was like, oh, we don't want you to do a close-up of that. We can't have a bug being stomped on close-up. No, that's strictly forbidden. But yeah, otherwise, I like this film. I thought The Gate was a very, very, very good film. It's like, last week we talked about... Um, it was the film that we reviewed last week. Uh, and it's the film that I... Star Time. Star Time, yes. It was a good film. But I I ended up enjoying this a lot more. Oh, yeah, I think this is definitely more of a crowd-pleaser film. Than was, Star Time. It was definitely enjoyable. more, And, and I'm not even picking on Star Time because I think we left that review saying it was fine. It was good. But... If I have to pick and choose between this uh, this movie and the movie we did last on what I would watch again, The Gate is definitely one I would definitely watch again, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, if you had to pick between The Gate and Star Time, if you're with a group of people, which one are you going to pick for a late night horror film? You're going to pick The Gate. Now, granted, two different movies entirely. Too, yeah, but I think The Gate's definitely, I think it's just more of a crowd pleaser than Star Time. Star Time's definitely more of a slower character study film which may bore some people and i wasn't bored with it i just didn't think it hit all the right notes like this movie did i think this movie did the notes more justice yeah you have more monsters you have more effects to play with i think you'll just have more fun with the gate than star time yeah i enjoyed it so give it a watch yep it's on tubi it's on youtube pick your pick your poison and that's gonna do it for this episode of fractured skulls from Monoxide, I'm Terminator Travis. Don't forget to polish your rocket. Polish your rocket.